0: Hey, how you doing? It's Mr. Bill here. Uh, I just wanted to give you a quick overview of my dates in case you wanted to come and see me at a show or a workshop or something like that. so here's pretty much the dates for the rest of the year uh, november 3rd i have a workshop in taipei taiwan november 8th and 9th i'm in india in bangalore and delhi respectively november 15th i'm in brunswick victoria at rubik's warehouse november 23rd i'm in brisbane in australia at bohemian beat freaks i think it's land cruiser national park actually november 30th i'm in sydney at the lair which is the side room to the metro december i have san francisco on the 12th nevada city on the 13th los angeles on the 14th denver on the 18th santa fe on the 19th at meow wolf and then the 21st in columbus ohio and then in january i am playing in philadelphia on the 11th so uh, if you wanted to come and see me basically for the rest of the year and then i suppose that one date in January. I uh, coming to an area near you go to mister forward slash tour and you should be able to find all the ticket links and dates and whatnot there uh cheers enjoy the podcast Hey you're listening to the Mr Bill podcast. Hey you're listening to the Mr Bill podcast. Hey you are listening to the Mr Bill podcast. Hey you're 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 listening to the Mr Bill podcast. Beautiful. all right welcome to episode number eight of the mr bill podcast today i'm talking with alden groves it's me uh we were, we were just uh so actually <coughs> when people have like listened to this podcast now when they're listening to it like on stitcher or whatever they listen to it on actually apple podcast is where we're getting the most listens i listen on stitcher yeah me too um but anyway after people listen uh, they're gonna like have just heard the Mister Bill podcast intro, yeah. So I can tell you how it was made, and then that would make sense, like format wise, because they will like hear it and then hear the explanation. That's great. I'm gonna do it right now.
1: Fuck <laughs> <laughs> yeah! There's so All right, much so, beauty in the world. Hey, Mister Bill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How so do you, how did
1: you? How did you make the intro? The intro where it says, hey, you're
0: listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Uh, I'm glad you asked. That's crazy. (laughs) Um, So actually, I went on Google Translate and I wrote, hey, you're listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. And then I like clicked each different like speech thing and recorded Uh them all out into Ableton and then just layered them a bunch. Just sound flowered it in or something? Uh, I used my Yamaha AGO3, which has like a loopback function. Okay, tight. Yep. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and then I just like put some pads under it and stuff like that. And
1: yeah, I mean, it sounds good. It's an interesting, it's an interesting intro. I feel like so many podcasts have just like whack intros. Like, what's it? Like the Tim Ferriss one has just like the most like fuck off bad like 2003 electro house track at
0: the beginning. <laughs> yeah, or well, the Joe Rogan one has like this weird like rock song or something like that. Yeah,
1: it's. Just, I just feel like you should like I like yours because it's just, it's not dated sounding you know what i mean like i feel yeah. like a song
0: is just liable to just become so dated like and both of those are just so i don't know well they're also like not music producers i think like you know partially uh is that your phone is i don't that think so phone? i think that was you blooping dude fuck hold on no justice in the world <clears throat> um yeah it was me blooping my bad um yeah so i guess it was if they were music producers though like they'd probably have a non-dated sounding intro but then again they probably both make so much fucking money i I expect they just don't give a shit ultimately yeah i don't really think it's like and i expect other people probably don't give a shit either no that's what what i'm saying is like if they had a better intro do you think the joe rogan podcast would be more popular (laughs) no it's just it's
1: like i i listen i listen to a lot of podcasts like i um I drive to and from Denver to work for, this, for the Slam Academy thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's uh, from Longmont. It's like an hour and change each way. And so I am just always looking for podcasts. And I would say most podcasts, I have to skip the music and in the intro. Just because it's either too long or just bad or just
0: aggressive in some way. Right. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, I'm glad that you can listen to my 30 second intro no,
1: album. <laughs> this is the only reason I'm here. Now that we've discussed the intro, I don't know what
0: we're going to talk about. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about your career and how we met. Oh, yeah, true. Hey. So, well, people that people who, there's probably a lot of people who don't know who you are. So, um, it, I don't know about that. Pretty sure everybody knows who I am. Okay. Well, let's just skip that part. <laughs> All right. So you used to write, the, the way I first found out about you is when you were writing music as evoke. Yes. And your, your uh, handle was evoke hop. Yes. I assume and, that's people that have heard of me. They've probably heard of me as evoke.
1: Right. Which is now not a thing anymore. It's kind of, it's, it's sort of, it's not a thing right now in that I don't have any releases scheduled for it. I still use it like basically the way I think about it right now is that evoke is kind of the name that I use for anything that I would classify as in quotation marks, electronic music. Um, stuff that's like either has like an EDM format or just that kind of structure. So like if I'm featuring on another person's song and it's like an EDM song, I'll use the evoke handle, but for all the stuff that I'm trying to do right now, where it's more focused on like rap or songwriting or whatever, whatever the hell it is I'm doing now, I just use my name. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. True. Um, what, what is it you think that made you kind of step more away from the evoke stuff and more towards the wrapping stuff? Uh, the evoke stuff was kind of like neuro, like, I don't know how you, yeah, it was basically neuro halftime stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, initially, so like
1: I initially really got into the neuro halftime thing in like 2012 ish before it was really, it was like, I think Cursa had posted the, uh, let's call it neurohop mix on SoundCloud, which is not up there anymore. And now there's just the album that caliber did, but before any of that, there was that mix and I got really into that whole sound. Um, and then ultimately just what it came to for me is that I wanted, I wanted to be able to express myself lyrically too. And so there was like a, it really was not a sudden shift. It was like, I had, I mean, even my first release, Ever as evoked that was like through a label was called neuro pop. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was definitely more on the neuro end, but I've always wanted to incorporate lyrics and songwriting and all that kind of stuff and singing, um, even though I wasn't very good at it at first. And so I was just like trying to figure out a way to incorporate it. And then it eventually just became that was the thing I cared more about. The singing? And, mm-hmm, and that it just was like, I just wasn't inspired like that's ultimately for me what it's about
0: hi youtube Uh, youtube is getting right up in your grill (laughs)
1: no kidding hey (laughs)
0: um i just for for those listening i have a cat named youtube uh and the reason i named her that is so i could come into my house every day and be like what's up youtube like one of those (laughs) insane like youtuber guys (laughs) or girls And uh, I did it like once or twice and joke kind of got old. And I still think it's a wonderful joke. I think it's funny every time. (laughs) still pretty funny. And like, I don't know. Now she just lives with that name, I suppose. She getting fierce.
1: Um, But what I was just going to say is that it ultimately became that I wasn't inspired to make drops anymore. Like that was really the the core of it is that I just didn't really want to make drops anymore. And so that being the case, it was like, it, it, A, felt a little disingenuous to like keep calling it the same thing. And B, it was like my Spotify and like other, you know, any other network where it mattered. It was like, if you looked up evoke, you would get all this stuff that was no longer representative of anything that I wanted to do. And so I basically just wanted to do kind of a hard reset and get to this point where it was like, okay, I want when people go to any, you know, whether it's SoundCloud or Spotify or whatever, that my most popular song is going to be in some way representative of what they would expect to hear from me if they were to listen to something recent
0: right and so rather than pull all the evoke stuff down and replace it with stuff that you thought was more representative of your sound now you just started a new project yeah basically and it's like it it just wouldn't be practical and and it's sort of like one of those things where you
1: can't once it's on the internet especially if people like it and, and i wouldn't want to take that away from people either like i don't I, I at one point took all my stuff down from SoundCloud and I'm getting into that. I'm starting to repost it back up now because that people reach out to me and be like, oh, hey, what happened to that remix? I've been meaning, I wanted to listen to it again and it's gone. And I feel weird about that. I feel like once you release music, it doesn't really just belong to you anymore. So I kind of wanted sort to
0: of, just like. I mean, I think you, well, sort of. I mean, you definitely can control your brand though and how, you know, that stuff is seen. And a lot of people rebrand and resound. Mm-hmm their stuff over their career like i for instance have, am have sort of done that a couple of times like all my early albums you can't get anymore like um celebrations barcodes and the ulterior vagspiel rehearsal mm-hmm. you can't get any of those online really anymore um unless you probably dig like really deep into torrent sites and shit like that right and that was like from 2008 and 2009 so it's like 10 years ago it's definitely not like at the level of stuff that i'm producing now right and i don't really see any value to anybody having it
1: well it's different too because like a lot of the stuff that i had that i didn't feel like was representative of my sound has like half a million plays and like several million plays on youtube so it's like that's invariably going to be the first thing that comes up that's what i mean by you can't like when it comes to stuff like that you can't you literally can't erase it because it's like it's it's gotten so much already you know it's like I I think that it, it, I couldn't just like delete that from the internet.
0: Yeah. yeah Not that I would true. really
1: even want to either because like people connect with that, with those releases too. So I thought it would just made more sense to just like, you know, use my name both because I feel like that more emphasizes what I'm trying to emphasize as far as like what it's about, which is like a lot of the songs right now are more about kind of like, what i'm about personally whether it's my mental health or my history with addiction or just thoughts i have it's just like it feels more like direct
0: right yeah that's fair let's talk about that um you have a history with addiction and actually i think it was the very first time i ever hung out with you uh i was at your house (laughs) uh and i did uh i don't know exactly how much but like quite a a lot lot, quite a lot of vivance which for people who are listening is basically meth yep and um and I took a shitload of it, and I think wrote music for maybe two days. Yeah, you straight. just
1: basically we just hold you up in the basement with my shitty K R K rockets, and you just and I wrote music for just a went days. ham. <laughs> that was when we made uh, same.
0: Yep, that is when we made. We same. started same we started at that point, at, yeah. and then everything good basically happened later. Yeah, so for anyone listening, um, same, which is a collab between me and Alden on my album "Settling for Mediocrity," was the product of me. And I don't know if you took any, but I think it was I just, think I did. it was just me on a shitload of vibance in your basement <laughs> <laughs> on Ableton. <laughs> Too true. Actually, the, I went through a little period there for a bit where like I had another friend who um, got me a bunch of Adderall mm-hmm. and I wrote like chlorine on one. Oh yeah. On I dig that, that tune. Yeah. I and like then, that one. Um, Schnappel Schlapp, I think is the other one. Mm-hmm. I wrote that also on Adderall. So it was like, three tunes on, on that album the that messy are just, jams they're, yeah they're so insanely detailed <laughs> <laughs> they're just like the product of like not so a coincidence much. yeah that's kind of a funny and that's actually for the record though so people don't think i'm a full-blown fucking speedhead <laughs> um that's the i think the only three times i've actually done adderall really or
1: i enabled you for 33.3 repeating percent
0: of your meth usage Yep. Maybe well no, I've actually done meth too. Oh okay. I so. just mean medical meth. Okay. <laughs> so legal ish meth. Just legal meth, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's so that was like you were just you were playing a show in Denver I'm trying to remember my memory's <clears throat> bad just okay, catapult. So
0: what happened was um, at the time I was in America, I was supposed to go to Canada and do some dates, but there was like some issues with a visa or something. I don't exactly really mm. know what Oh yeah, I, I vaguely remember that too. Pretty much the issue was like if I left the country and then there would be a chance I wouldn't be able to get back in or something. That rings true. There was like something going on. I can't exactly remember the details, but there was some reason I couldn't leave the country. So I had to cancel all of my Canadian dates and then I pretty much had to um, just like hang around mm-hmm. uh, in in America for whatever reason it was. Right. and um, And then so I just hauled up in Colorado for like a month. Yeah. And I, I remember you crashed on my couch for some portion of that. Yeah, totally. And then a year later I moved here and you helped me move all of my shit. Yeah. I've helped Uh, you. I've helped you move a number of times. Yeah. But I think the main one you actually helped me move into this house too.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I remember um, when you first moved here, we like went to Ikea and like went to the grocery store. And then when you went to get a car, was, I was, I was like your little taxi man for a little bit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Hey, no worries. It was fun. Definitely like helped me get all my shit together when I first moved here. I mean, moving sucks.
1: And I can only imagine moving literally to the other side of the world.
0: Yeah. Didn't be... you move here from like Arizona or something like that?
1: Me? Oh no, I'm Colorado. And I've, I, at one point almost moved to Arizona, but that didn't work out for the number of reasons. Hmm. Um, and, and was probably a bad idea in the first place the idea was that I was going to go to Arizona and do some community college stuff there. Cause my, my family's out there and then um, go to LA and try to work the LA music scene. But for a lot of complicated factors, mostly financial ones, it was just like not feasible ultimately.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> Doing the LA grind is tough. I, I see a lot of people out. I mean, Here's my thing with LA. I don't think you should go out there to try and get work. I think you should go there if you're already successful, Mm. it seems like. Yeah. And, and especially because it's so expensive, like
1: that's the thing is that I I think that for me, it's becoming more and more obvious that having money as a resource to put towards music is in and of itself, something like really valuable. It's
0: huge. Yeah. I mean, like if it's the difference between you being completely broke and having to work 40 hours a week just to live in LA versus you being not completely broke and not having to even really have a job and live mm. in Colorado and just make tunes here. It's right. way more worth it to buy your time. Here. Well, and also just like the the like ambient stress that just
1: comes from not having money. Like I, for years, up until literally about this last year, was always like my account was hovering around zero. I would have overdraft fees just about every month. My credit card debt was climbing like I was like stressed about money for years and years and years. Like pretty much since since I had to de- handle my own money, I was stressed about it. And I didn't necessarily realize how much of a toll that was like that that was taking on me until I have money now. Right. And it suddenly I can actually end up working more on stuff that's not music and still bring more energy to the studio because I'm not losing sleep or just stressing sort of ambiently about money.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I remember that too when I was younger and like never would have money and I would always just be sort of like worried about food and shit like Mm -hmm. that Yeah, it's not going to. I remember
1: going to Safeway and just literally all I could buy was a jar of peanut butter, two bushels of bananas, and a loaf of bread. And I would just eat peanut butter and banana sandwiches like for a week.
0: That's actually like not that bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's like as far as cheap food goes, it's not the worst. Yeah, I mean, you get your potassium from the bananas, Mm -hmm. you get your carbs from the bread, and you get your uh, protein from the peanut butter. If
1: if any of y'all out there are just trying to live
0: on the cheap, that's the way to do it. Yeah, or like ramen, right? Yeah, but ramen is garbage. True, yeah, compared to fucking banana, peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, and the cost, I feel like, is comparable. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. The- yeah, I wonder, like, how many sandwiches would you be able to make for, like, however much money?
1: <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I think like, I I, I, think go, I like- did the math at one point, but it has not been relevant to my life for a long time. Well, it's relevant now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> relevant to this conversation.
1: <laughs> We need to do the banana math. Yeah, let's say like
0: what, how many slices are in a loaf of bread? Like thirty. That seems high. Really? Seems kind of normal.
1: Okay, we'll say we'll say let's say thirty slices of bread in a loaf of bread. But to me that still does
0: seem high. <laughs> okay, let's say you get ten to fifteen sandwiches. So like what how much does it cost for a loaf of bread? Like two bucks? Yeah, two or three. And then bananas, like three? Yeah, for enough bananas. Well,
1: for enough bananas for ten sandwiches, I guess you would need ten bananas, and it would probably be like three or four dollars. Yeah, and then a jar of peanut butter. If you get cheap peanut butter, it's another three bucks. So you're looking at probably like ten bucks all said. Yeah, but, yeah, and you can get like ten to fifteen sandwiches out of that. So that's about a buck a sandwich, and a thing of ramen is maybe like about a dollar a ramen. Yeah, maybe a little less. Oh, I'm about to be assaulted by your cat. Uh oh. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> this um, podcast may just be me screaming for the next 20 minutes <laughs>
0: while your cat eats my foot <laughs> um so i'm interested to talk about your your history with addiction which is like apparently a thing you said you've dealt with a bit and yeah how, uh inherent to your alden grove's brand
1: yeah i mean it's that's definitely one way that to think about it it's um I guess, like I was saying, like the big, another big part of the reason why I pivoted to just using my name is because it's like I think it's about sharing my experiences, and a lot of them are very atypical and a lot of them are very intense, and so like like I got addicted to heroin when I was like uh, 16 or so. How, how did that happen? Uh, you know, it was it was kind of a gradual thing because I started drinking and like smoking weed and other stuff like that. You know, it's actually the first time I ever did any substance of any kind. I was 14 and I went to this party at this guy's house and uh, he was like a senior at the college that, or not college, at the high school that I was at. And I drank something like seven shots of vodka and I smoked like a couple bowls with everybody. And I took like Four pills of Percocet. Like, that was, like, my first encounter with any kind of substances whatsoever.
0: Basically a bunch of alcohol and weed and Percocet. Yep, exactly. What is Percocet, actually? It's
1: a, it's a pain... C- it's an opiate. Okay. So it's, like, Vicodin or... Um,
0: Never you know, done that. I've done Xanax. Is it like Xanax?
1: Xanax is a muscle relaxer. Okay. I think. So it's, like... I've, what else have I done? I've done Valium. Valium is also a muscle relaxer. Okay. Um, I think Xanax is a muscle relaxer. I'm probably... probably I might be wrong about that. What is but Percocet? I know
0: it's, what do you say? Per- it's an
1: opiate. It's like if, yeah. you've, um, if you've ever had surgery done, it's the painkillers and stuff that they give you after.
0: Hmm. Okay, I have not uh, ever had surgery. And then so had you, have after. you ever done any kind of opiate? You know, I might not have. Oh, that's wild. What would be considered an opiate, like uh, a common one? Vicodin,
1: it would be probably the most common one. Percocet, uh, obviously heroin is one. You know, Oxycodone, I, Oxycontin.
0: You know, I might not have ever done an opiate.
1: That's really weird to me. I mean, cons- I mean, I guess it's not really that weird by most standards. You know, it might be, it actually might be that you're not from the States.
0: That, in that the States, might be the, you know, thing. it's like. Well, actually, having said that though, my brother is addicted or was at least addicted to oxycodone and heroin. But I do think that it's more readily distributed here.
1: Like I feel like doctors more readily hand out those prescriptions here for
0: opiates true yeah yeah i guess like same with uh, adderall and stuff right like i'd never had that before i came to america mm. i don't think that even exists in australia i think uh what we have there is this stuff called dexamphetamines which i had had there before people call them dexies that's <laughs> weird i think that might just be a different name for it yeah i think much. that
1: it definitely felt like the same thing i think that dextromethorphan is one of the compounds in
0: certain adhd meds i can't remember which ones though right so you went to this party you had a bunch of alcohol, weed, and Percocet, and that was the first time you'd ever gotten high. On anything. Clearly, you were probably really fucking
1: high. (laughs) Yes. I I spent um, most of the night crying on the floor under the pool table confessing my love to every girl that walked into the room. So that was step one for me. Um, Obviously not a great start. And then I mostly smoked weed for a long time, not because I liked it, but because it was what people did. It was like a social thing. Um, And I, I pretty much hated that across the board, but I did it just about every day. Um, and then I remember when I first did ecstasy, that was the moment of like, wow, drugs can be good. Um, because it, I had really bad social anxiety. I had this notion in my head that I had to think about what I was saying before I said it. Like it had to make sense in my head before I opened my mouth, which is just not a good way to have a conversation. Wait, when you had ecstasy, you had that? No, before then, before I had done any drugs, I had really bad social anxiety right? because I thought I had to think through what I was saying before I said it. And then I took ecstasy and it sort of erased my inhibition or even my ability to do that. And then you took that as a positive thing. Yeah. And it, it really, I mean, in many ways it was actually, it opened up so that I felt like it was okay for me to talk to people. It made me feel like I was connected to people. Obviously I, there's not been a lot of research on the long term effects of it, but I, I would, I wouldn't be shocked if it contributed a lot towards some of my mood instability and other weird mental issues that I
0: have now. True. Yeah. And, um, was it something you were doing a lot?
1: Uh, oh yeah. Like when I was doing it, I was doing the hell out of it. It was like, like every day. Yeah. Just about every day.
0: You're doing ecstasy every day.
1: Yeah. I, oh, I fuck. would, so I would, I would,
0: how are you dealing with like, um, the down? Oh, I wasn't. <laughs> you were <laughs> just was... doing more ecstasy. So
1: uh, what I would do is I would... I would. Um, and when you say ecstasy, you mean MDMA, right? Yes. Okay. Like molly or pills that may or may not have been MDMA. Some of them may as well... May well have just been like stimulants. Right. Like yeah, Adderall basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you never know what's in the pills. It's probably mostly Piper zines, um, which are just some shit that they cut
0: pills with. That's insane that you did that every day. For how long? Oh, at least several years. Holy fuck. You're doing... P- MDMA every day for several years. Yeah. So what I would do
1: is because I didn't really have money or anything like that. So how
0: are you getting all this? MDMA? So this is what I
1: would do is I would middleman for people that actually did have some. And every time they would do a deal, I would just take like 10% off the top. Um, with, cause people don't fucking weigh it. Like, I, like 10% of the MDMA. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would just, they would, you know, sell two grams and I would take, you know, 10% of that and just pocket it. And I had which, enough uh, luck doing that because i was the only person that knew anybody at this
0: high school so anytime someone needed something they would come to me for reference if you someone sold two grams and you took 10 percent of that that would be two doses yeah it's two points which are
1: generally accepted to be a dose i for me it was like that was just like baseline
0: yeah right that's fucking insane because if i do md like i haven't done it in a long time but every time i have done it in the last few years um and this is really the thing that keeps me from doing it because it is so fucking good mm. um is that the next day i <laughs> feel so shit
1: man well you can uh, imagine like if you get into a habit of like man i feel bad i should probably take that again
0: but like, not the last thing i think of doing when i'm feeling that way however i guess that's because i'm probably not addicted to it right um i do actually have an issue with alcohol right and quite often when i'm hung over my solution or my thought will be like, ah, oh, I know how to solve this. Mm-hmm. Just go and drink again. Yeah,
1: and it's the same thing. Like, and especially you can imagine, you know, at this point, I'm still like 15, 16, and as far as I'm concerned, this is the thing that took away my social anxiety. You know, wow. I'm like, if I if I have any kind of social awkwardness, if I have any kind of weird interaction with somebody, it's like, ah, I know the solution to this. It was it's right. it was like a cure all for
0: any problem that I had. Wow. And then I guess like um you probably like got into some mindset where you're like, if I don't have it, the social anxiety will come back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, and, and I was sort of young and naive enough to,
1: to see things that way. Um, and so then eventually it got to the point, you know, I was having people over and we were doing, uh, Molly or taking pills. And like I said, I was just the middleman. So sometimes like, uh, you know, if, if, if I couldn't get in touch with one person, I would have to go to another. And, uh, And on this particular night, this was the night when um, I kind of got, when I found out that it was possible for me to get heroin. Because before that, it was sort of like a thing that people who weren't me did. You know what I mean? And especially like I'm from Boulder, Colorado, which is sort of a conventionally rich, affluent place. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a heroin city. Exactly. So it, it it really wasn't even on my radar that it was possible. So I was literally, I was texting just about everybody in my phone. It's like 10 or 11, maybe even like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm just going through my phone being like, hey, you know where I can get some pills because everyone at this party is like crashing and like wants more. And I'm like, okay, well, we can all pitch in or throw down for more. And so I'm texting everybody in my phone and this
0: dude... This is when you're 16? Uh, I pro- yeah, I think so. So two years after the Percocet pool table thing. Yes. All right. <laughs> it's a fun frame of reference. Um,
1: and someone hits me back and is like, I don't know where to get pills, but I knew do know where to get heroin. I was like, okay, well, and in the moment we all laughed about it and like, ha ha, can you imagine? <laughs> <Kind of thing. laughs> can like, you? Wouldn't that be, that would just be crazy. Right. Unless. <laughs> and so, <laughs> Jesus. you know, and we didn't do it that night, but then my um, partner at the time, she and I were like, the next day, we definitely had that like, man, that was fucked up. Unless, and then we had that moment and actually, you know, went and got it. And my first experience with it, I remember being underwhelmed. Really? I remember being like. And your first experience was injecting it? Uh, no, we smoked it the okay. first time. Actually, no, the first time I, I snorted it um, because it was like powdery enough that that was possible. And then I started getting it again and it was like sort of more crystallized to where it couldn't be crushed up. And so we had to start smoking it just sort of out of necessity.
0: Do you know um, how the blue oxy pills are like 60 milligrams each? Uh, they, yes. Maybe they're less than that. Maybe they're 40. I, I have seen them before, but I don't. They're I don't, like really strong. Mm-hmm. I met a guy the other day who said he would crush up three at a time <laughs> and rail them three times a day. Fuck that. So he was doing like 120 milligram rails of oxyes three times a day. Yeah, I have like no idea how that stacks up
1: against... Heroin. And the thing about heroin is it's not standardized at all. So I have no idea the concentration of what I was doing, or even if it varied from dose to dose or day to day, like you have right. no way of knowing yeah. that's what makes it so dangerous other than all the other obvious things that make it so dangerous. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, sharing
1: needles and, you know, actually, um, so I didn't start injecting until probably a year later when I was like 17 and still very early to be injecting. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I did was because, there was a needle exchange in Boulder and I don't want this to sound like a knock against needle exchanges because needle exchanges are a very valuable and important service that cities can provide. But basically it's this idea that you go in and they assign you uh like a name, like a digit and a number. So it's like you're, I think I, because I was male and I can't remember they gave me, it was like M zero eight, seven, four or something like that. And so I would go in and they would be like, who are you? And I would say M0874 and they would literally, they would take you into this room where there was just like tons of bags of needles and syringes and like, you know, radioactive waste boxes that you could throw them when you were done. So you could just walk in and for $0, just grab a handful or just like 50 needles like you could just walk up to the counter at some of them and just be like hey could i get 50 needles and they'd be like sure thing and then come and bring you some like
0: clean ones right yeah yeah of course yeah yeah, yeah. um no they just bring you a bunch <laughs> of used <ones. laughs> They're like here you go good luck <laughs> yeah uh, well i mean that seems definitely healthy and good right and I, I mean i think like um and maybe this is true already at least it hasn't been for me since i've been living in america that std test should be free here like that too right yeah oh I, they should be I don't I'm pretty sure they aren't I've not had a free one here
1: and I'm pretty they I don't think they are I think that there are some places where if you're a certain age then you can do it for free I think you have to be like I think for people under 18 it's free at certain right. clinics like I think Planned Parenthood won't charge you but it's not like a government thing
0: get a fake ID to go get free STD tests <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: schemes you <laughs> gonna do a grift on the government to get some free STD tests yeah so I, I found out I didn't have gonorrhea 18 times this year
0: <laughs> all free baby <laughs> with my new fake ID that says I'm 16 and a half <laughs> you go and you're like I'm this many and like count it on your fingers <laughs> Alright, so you did pills for a few years and you did, you got into heroin. Were you still doing pills while you were doing heroin? No, I pretty much um, switched
1: over because it was... At, at a certain point, it was actually easier to get,
0: which was kind of weird. You know, I kind of started falling out of the rave scene and... Also, this, like, might be wrong, but, uh, I mean, definitely not socially, but maybe, like, physiologically, it's probably better for you to do heroin than pills every day, right? You know...
1: That may be true, actually. I mean, it's all sort of speculative because it depends on the heroin and it depends on the pills. and
0: Like the purest of MDMA versus the purest of heroin, I feel like the heroin would be way less detrimental. I mean, as long as you don't die, I guess, probably. Yeah, like, obviously. Yeah, obviously, if you die... I
1: feel like the risk for death (laughs) is higher with heroin, though. Especially once Mm -hmm. you start shooting up. Because, like I said, the concentration varies so much from dose to dose. And especially if you can't always get from the same dealer or if your dealer can't always get from the same supplier... It's like the variation between doses can, can be something like a factor of 20, you know? Holy like, shit.
0: Yeah. It's fucking wild because people cut it so much. So was there like any times where you like did heroin and you're like, wow, this is way stronger than like another. Yeah. Time. I, there
1: were, there was a couple times where I, I actually like stopped breathing altogether. Holy like shit. I almost died. I had, I uh, went over to this girl's house, an old friend of mine and was like super doped out. And at one point just like collapsed on the floor and stopped breathing. And I just like woke up to her slapping me in the face over and over and over again. Holy fuck. Because she was, she was said if if I didn't wake up right when I did, she was going to take me to the hospital. Jesus. That's fucked. (laughs) Yeah, dude. It's (laughs) wild. It's weird to think about because like, you know, I, I, I'm 25 now. And so this was like eight, almost nine years ago. Pretty recent. But for my, but for me, that's like. And maybe part of it is I suspect my, um, use of MDMA every day, I have really bad short and long-term memory loss. Uh-huh. Like I, I actually can't remember most of my life and, and if things that happened, like things start to phase out of my memory once it becomes like two years ago, <laughs> you yeah. know, I've forgotten entire relationships that I've been in. I've forgotten entire people that I knew. It's like this shit just disappears. That's crazy. And so talking about this kind of stuff, it's like, I know that it happened, but I mostly kind of know that it happened because people have told me that it happened to some extent. And so it almost feels like like, but at the same time, it's like, I have some vague memories of these things happening, but I don't think I would remember them if someone else hadn't told me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it's, it almost feels like I'm telling a story about somebody else, even though I know it's me.
0: Right. Yeah. That's fucking wild. So, at what point did you um did you get sober? because um, you as far as I've known you, pretty much I've known you for what, like five years. You've been one hundred percent sober the entire mm-hmm. time. Like, I got you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't do any drugs. It was
1: just about when I turned eighteen that I got sober. I think it was just before that because it was uh, December twenty twelve when I got, or or maybe just around that. Um, I can't remember as we just discussed moments ago, um, <laughs> when specifically, but I know it was either end of 20, I know it was end of 2012.
0: Okay. So still pretty recent too.
1: Yeah. Um, but I, I, other than a couple, you know, either what you could call relapses. I mean, I've never done opiates since then, at least not with any, I mean, I got my wisdom teeth taken out and took the Vicodin that they gave me, but that barely counts. And I took it as directed until the bottle was gone and then moved on with my life. So I I don't count that as a relapse, but, um, did you do, uh, when you got your wisdom teeth out, did you go to sleep for it? Uh, uh, yes, kind of. Yes. I I think so. They, they definitely gave me like the anesthetic and I think I was supposed to be knocked out, but I really just ended up tripping really hard. (laughs) True. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was numb, but I, I remember it happening. And I, there was, I had to get another tooth taken out. And I remember as the anesthesia was starting to wear off and, and as the, you know, the, the gas was starting to wear off. I remember he was having so much trouble getting this tooth out. He was just wailing inside my head with a hammer. Holy fuck. And I just remember just like my head bobbing back and forth. Jesus. Just like very tripped out. Like what is happening?
0: So I, yeah, I got both of my wisdom teeth taken out fully conscious just in the chair. Holy shit. And they were both like completely impacted and they had to, um, they had to, so impacted means growing sideways into the backs of your molars and both my bottom ones were, were like that. And they were like, you can get it done. Uh, so in Australia, if you're Aboriginal, you get free dental. So, and I am Aboriginal, so I should have gotten this for free. But the catch was that I would have had to go on a waiting list for like six months Ugh. and I had to go to America pretty soon. So I was like, all right, I have to fix this. Get her done. Yeah. I just have to get it done. So I was like, all right, um, what's the cost? And he was like, if you want to go to sleep and do it, it's like 10 grand. If you want to do it in the chair, it's like two. And I was like, Fuck. all right, well, I'll just do it in the chair, I guess. Cause this is like, this is like the Saw movies. Yeah. Right. Like some fucked ultimatum that you just have to like, you choose. have two choices one's real bad <laughs> they're both they're actually both real bad they're both really bad <laughs> yeah so um yeah i was fucked they had to like uh they just numbed my mouth with like general anesthetic Jesus and Christ. then they drilled into the tooth like a ton of times and, I and could, you did and you did not get prescribed painkillers for this no you, you just dealt
1: with this afterwards yep
0: Man, I Australia just drank. Fucked, I just hey? drank banana smoothies for like. Oh, that probably did the trick then. A, a week, yeah. The banana smoothies really <laughs> took <laughs> the edge off the pain. <laughs> um, I actually did take uh, just like ibuprofen and shit. That's wild to me. Yeah, I didn't take any like serious painkillers. Um, but yeah, so they were drilling into my tooth or both, really, and I could smell like the burning tooth, and then <laughs> that's horrible. Yeah, it was disgusting, and then like also every time they would drill in the drill would just make the f- most fuck sound i'd be like
1: and it's like, in your head too exactly so, it's like so it's vibrating, vibrating like your whole skull
0: resonating through my head and shit and then and also that's how you um, got inspired to make dubstep yeah that's why my sound design skills are the way they yeah. are i'm trying to relive that moment because <laughs> it was real positive for me <laughs> You're um, just trying to work through trauma. It's exposure <laughs> therapy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and then they had to put like this little tool inside the holes that they were drilling, which was basically like a like a thin prong. And when it once it's in the middle of the tooth. They like pull a thing and it kind of opens up within the tooth and breaks Mm -hmm. it into pieces and then they just pull the tooth out bit by bit and then they sew the hole up. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and each tooth took about three hours or actually maybe like two hours each. It was like,
1: here's a banana smoothie. The prescription (laughs) is for 15 cc's of banana smoothie.
0: Right. Yeah, actually from memory I think I did one at a time because my top two were like not impacted and they just were able to pull those out super easy. Mm -hmm. Bottom two, not so easy and um, yeah, just like i just had to i think i did one tooth at a time like i did one one week and then one the next week oof yeah it sucked woof
1: <laughs> big woof. welcome to mr bill's tooth podcast <laughs> yeah the, the, uh, we talk about the horrors of modern dentistry
0: it, it like i don't know i was thinking about it and i was like this would have sucked if i had done this in the 60s oh yeah or like the 50s oh or something. yeah
1: or like any time ever before that yeah oh uh, yeah pretty much like dentistry now is like pretty good I no, actually it just used to be sorry it used to be like a performative thing like they would have people they would have like dentists that would like bring people up on stage and they would like rip out their teeth on stage in front of an audience
0: like whilst the person was like not under painkillers or NSA? i don't
1: think they had that back then i think so it was just they'd like probably
0: just get people real drunk right i guess that's probably what they had like just, yeah, drink like a whole bottle of whiskey mm-hmm. and then just like take his tooth out. And then it's like you wake up the next day not only so sick that you think you're <laughs> going to die, but also in the worst pain ever. Yeah. And then probably with an infection. You know. <laughs> you're just like, ah, oh, this is a real bad combo. You know, I guess I'll take,
1: I guess I'll take the generalized anesthetic then. This is the, this is our, our sequel to our earlier Saw movie. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if that's your
0: options. Um, yeah, right. Okay. So then you, you went to like, how did you get sober after all this stuff? So I was really fortunate in that I had the
1: opportunity to go to an inpatient rehab. So Mm -hmm. I was there for four weeks and then I was in sober living for a year after that. So what is sober living? It's like, so in rehab, it's, it's literally, they're helping you to detox. Like I was put on, um, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but it's some sort of like... uh, Is it Suboxone? It is Suboxone, good guess. I have heard of this. Um, So Suboxone, uh, as far as I understand it, and I'm not a doctor, but as far as I understand it, the way it's usually prescribed is that people take X dose for a month and then one half of that dose for another month and then one half of that dose for, you know, whatever. That's the way it's usually prescribed, (laughs) which is not to say that that's the most effective way to have it prescribed. The way it was given to me was I had dose A for three days, a dose that was half of that for two days, a dose that was half of that for two days, and then a really small dose for two days, and that was it. So what usually takes a, months and months and months, they did for me in a week, and I had well, no withdrawal any, symptoms.
0: Uh, probably because you were young, right? They did that with everybody that
1: went there. I was the youngest person there by a lot. Right. Um, but I, it, I, it, it's interesting. It actually was very easy for me to get clean once I actually did it. I'd been trying for a long time before that, but the withdrawal was just so bad that I just couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. And so once they put me in rehab and got me on this suboxone that basically just made it. So I had very few, almost negligible withdrawal symptoms, especially since at that point I was like out of money. So I was going through withdrawal just about every day and just I was trying to figure out how to get more dope by the end of the day. So I would be in with draw symptoms pretty much every morning until probably about 3 p.m. when I could figure out some sort of scheme to get more dope or until my
0: fucking dealer woke up. What was the uh, craziest scheme that you ever schemed up to get more dope? Oh, gosh. I mean, I took uh, at one point
1: I went up into my mom's room and just like raided her like jewelry box and just like took a bunch of like antiques that I knew were my grandma's, which is like fucked up, right? Yeah, um, that's pretty fucked. And then I, you know, I stole money out of my friend's purses and all that kind of stuff. Like I took a lot of money from a lot of people that was, which is not like really a scheme so much as just being a dick, being a thief, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, stuff like that where it's, and you never, you know, you never think you're going to get there. Like you hear about that in a TV show and you're like, Oh, that's, It almost seems cartoonish, right? Like you're like, like, how could a person yeah. do that? But you'd yeah. be surprised what you'll do with the right incentive structure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So you did sober living for a year and then you're Mm -hmm. out of there when you were 19. Yep. Uh, just when I was 19, probably about to turn 20. And that's pretty much about the time I, Mm -hmm. where people probably started hearing about evoke, right? Yeah. Um, so so, at what point during all of this, did you get good at making neuro? So,
1: (laughs) so I was talking about curses, let's call it neuro hop mix. So before that I was doing like, before I went to rehab, I was doing like electro house and trance and all those sort of
0: conventional genres that were just So at the same thing. time as like doing all of this heroin you were also producing music. Yeah. Yeah, I've been producing since I was uh 14. Fuck crazy. So like how exactly were you uh managing to like find the time to produce among being on fucking MDMA every day and being on heroin? Uh, I every mean,
1: day? it was just so like I was just something I made time to do always. You know, I got my first laptop for producing because one of my friends carjacked a laptop out of somebody else's car and gave me her old one. And like... But so basically your life was just like getting high and being on the computer writing music? Basically, yeah. Hmm. And and like, for example, in math class, they would be like, okay, your project is due next week, so you have work time for the next hour to work on it. And I would just bust open my laptop and open FL Studio and just start jamming out.
0: Nice. And um, so also during school... Mm-hmm. would. Did you ever go to class like high on MDMA?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I always, I always had like a, about a gram in a little bag in my pocket and in any, any time during class or in between classes, or I would just sneak out to the bathroom and there was like one single occupancy bathroom. And so I would just pop in there, do
0: a line and then go back to class. That's fucking wild. I went to school high just on weed once Mm. and I got on the bus and I was like, so fucking dizzy from being high that I like asked somebody if I could like sit in their seat on the bus, <laughs> and the guy was just like, "Yeah, yeah, he like just saw that I was like real <laughs> fucked up, but I felt like real bleish for asking him oh, to do that, that's... and then um, I felt really bad about it, and then I got to school, and uh I was just like literally got there, and like five seconds later, I was like, this isn't happening, and I walked to the train station and called the train back <laughs> <laughs> you know you made you made your best effort, yeah, yeah, getting high. I smoked a shitload of weed when I was younger. Mm. Um, and yeah, trying to do that in school was yeah not as... Th- I'm
1: amazed that I graduated. I graduated... So the particular high school I went to had lower graduation requirements than the acceptance requirements for most colleges. And even with that being the case, I barely passed those requirements in my last semester of my senior year by writing... A comedy article for the school newspaper. That was what pushed me over the edge by like 0.1 credits. Fuck.
0: Um, what is the measurement system here? It's like GPA or something, right? Yeah, GPA. What, what was your GPA? My GPA was like unintuitively good uh-huh. because
1: I, I don't know. They like really like, good is like four, right? Yeah, I think I had just above a three. I think I had like a 3.2. Yeah, that's actually, I've heard that's like decent, right? Yeah, it's like, I'm, that's like, it's a pretty solid. What's the rating system between 0 and 4, right? I think so. And like 4 is insane. And then there's technically higher than 4, but it's mostly for rich people who Yeah. yeah. Have, they, they just buy the extra points. That's I mean basically, <laughs> that's basically how it works. That's they crazy. get special tutoring and then get special rich people classes that give them like a 4.8 GPA or something. Yeah. So they can look pretty on paper to get into Harvard. But yeah, I mean honestly, all things considered, it's just like it it um i did okay that's what's weird to me is i i have almost no recollection of any of that but i i seem to have gotten out all right and that's i'm i'm super lucky because i don't have anything on my criminal record other than you know me talking about it publicly there's no record of this ever even really happening so like i don't i'm not a felon i'm not in any kind of legal trouble you know i just i i'm I was able to recover
0: and just live a normal life now. Yeah. That's fucking awesome that, that you're able to get out the other end. And now that you you kind of like have this um, like mentality about like, I mean, you're a really sober person now. Like I've always mm-hmm. known you since I've known you, you've always been like an incredibly sobering and just sober person. What is that? Is
1: sobering? Are you a sobering person? I don't know. I think sobering means like I mean, almost like harrowing. What's that? Like, it's like, uh, Sobering. It would be like uh, a, a, something that really makes you like come to your senses, but it's usually got like a uh, almost like a dark connotation to it. Like if something is sobering, yeah. it's like I had an experience where I was almost hit by a train, and it was sobering. Yeah, I would say in some sense you're sobering. <laughs> okay, well, I'll t- I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I at this point now it's funny because a lot of people that meet me probably think I'm this very like straight laced person because I don't even. You know, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't even drink caffeine. I'm vegan. You know, I have all these things. There's yeah, just so you many work things at a coffee shop. Yeah. I do work at a coffee shop serving coffee to people and I don't drink it. Um, but it's, I, th- I think a lot of people that meet me now probably assume that that's just how I've lived my life. And right. But it like took some like serious
0: other side to mm-hmm. like get you to that point.
1: Yeah. It was a sobering experience. One could say
0: yeah nice one dude (laughs) boom callbacks we got callbacks for days yeah so um at this point now would you say like most of your Alden grove stuff is kind of like written about this sort of stuff um not really by design but that is sort of what tends
1: to come out because i don't really i don't when i start writing lyrics i don't think i'm gonna write lyrics about this I'll literally just write the first line and then just keep going line by line by line until it's done. And then at the end, I'll kind of go back and, and see if, you know, and usually it's kind of like producing where you get a certain amount in and you realize what you're doing. And then you can kind of go back and edit things to match that, match the concept. At least that's how I produce
0: man there's this thing that a lot of producers um tell me all the time they're like oh producing used to be fun and i used to be able to like get massively engaged mm. but now i find it really difficult to get into that zone do you know that like you know when you get really incredibly engaged in a piece of music and you can't th- you're not thinking about anything else like right. you're not thinking about like checking social media or your phone or you're not checking like you, you lose track of time and yeah, shit the, like the flow state quote unquote exactly yeah um how often would you say you get into that state and what are your tricks for getting into that state Um, I would say it
1: is more often than not that I get there when I'm in the studio. And I think that that's why that's one of the reasons I like singing and rapping so much is I sort of don't know what I'm doing in in sort of the literal sense of the word. I, I, when I'm producing, it's like, I understand what a kick is and what a snare is, and what's happening melodically, and what key I'm in, and what the rhythm looks like, and I know if I make a beat that looks like this, it's going to sound like this. when I'm singing or rapping, you know whatever notes and words come out, that's just what I go with and and so i like I said, I don't structure any sort of concept, and a lot of the time stuff ends up my lyrics can end up being kind of collagey as a result of that, but I don't mind that I think that a lot of the time the feeling still comes across. And that's, what's interesting to me is when people respond to me and they will be like, Oh, I connected with this song so much. And I go back and read the lyrics and I'm like, it, it almost could be interpreted as word salad. But I think that it, I think the feeling is there. And I think that, you know, whether I know it or not, there is something that's being communicated by whatever part of me is writing those lyrics.
0: Right. Speaking of like lyric stuff, um, you did the, well, like you sent me a vocal, to put as the pre-drop vocal for oh, yeah. the sub Doctor Club. What what does it say again? It says It's uh
1: I'm trying to remember which part of it you use, but I think did it did it start with the we are five fingers deep bit? Yeah. So it's we're five fingers deep in the eyes of our keepers and I'm six foot three, but we're nine miles deeper. Yeah, what does that mean? Um so basically the idea is so like the eyes of our keepers, right? If you think about what a keeper is, it's like someone that that keeps you. So it would be sort of like authority. So Being five fingers deep in the eyes of authorities, like you're literally pulling out the eyes of the people that are supposed to be watching you. And then the six foot three thing, that's just very slightly taller than how tall I am. And then the nine miles deeper thing is like sort of the intrinsic depth of a person, right? Like you can measure their actual height in inches, but you can't really measure their depth in any sort of meaningful way. So it's kind of like, I see something like that's
0: their physical stature, but like their personal stature or their personality stature is like Mm -hmm. a lot deeper. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So the reason why we had to put that in is because, um, the original vocal said, uh, um, fuck, I can't even remember. It was like something from a pack of vocals that Mm -hmm. Joshua space Jesus gave me. And, um, and then I sent him my EP and I was like, Hey, there's a couple of vocals in this EP from the pack you sent me is it cool if we use these on the release mm-hmm. and he was like actually not just not that one he was like the rest are fine i think there was like two more on the ep he was just like that one i'm actually already using in a song mm-hmm. um, was, i can't even remember what the original it was the like, like walking on the sun until his motherfucking me- feet melt it was like um uh it was something about oh it said blast off with no seat belt walking on the sun until his motherfucking feet melt Mm-hmm which was cool was that's like a, good that's, yeah, it, was, it was a cool line It's good lyrics my guy yeah i think that was from pistol uh, yeah that's
1: interesting i'm actually about to release the song that you sort of i guess in effect sampled for five fingers deep now like that's going to come out in a couple weeks
0: oh true okay so that song isn't even out
1: no it's not oh fuck okay it's so- <laughs> funny you actually sampled it before it's out that's so funny. You got the hot, you got the that's hot a, jams.
0: That's a mad dub plate sample. Right there.
1: <laughs> but yeah. It's a, the song is called hologram hole and it's yep. going to come out, I think in like the next two or three weeks. So depending on when this episode comes out, it is this either episode a, will come out. So there's one coming out tomorrow and then mm-hmm. this will come out the following Monday. Okay. So then the song won't be out yet, but it'll be out in the next like week or two.
0: Okay, cool. And like where, where can people find that? Just your SoundCloud?
1: Yeah. I mean, really any, any of the, the SoundCloud would be a, a good place, but honestly I tend to steer people more towards my YouTube just because I'm doing more interesting stuff on YouTube now than I am on SoundCloud. Like I'm doing weekly live streams and I'm doing more
0: vlogs and videos and all that kind of stuff. So in like a week or two from the time this episode comes out, if they just type hologram whole Alden mm-hmm. Groves on YouTube. And it's
1: whole like W H O L E. Okay. Um, or you could just go to youtube.com slash Alden Groves. Sweet.
0: Yeah. And I noticed you've like started to get into the discord game now and stuff. The mm-hmm. discord is lit. It's really very strange. I love the, it. The,
1: it's a, uh, what is it? Like have you ever used Slack?
0: Yeah. It's like Slack for fucking gamers.
1: Yeah. I used to use Slack. And so when I opened discord and realized that it was literally just Slack, what
0: did you use Slack for?
1: Oh uh, God. What did I use it for? I think I used it to communicate with. Actually with Josh, the person, the, our manager, our former manager.
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess, yeah, for people listening, we used to share a manager. He used I to got manage- him on weekends. <laughs>
1: and then we alternated every week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so he used to manage Savant. And then he was actually the, the guy who got me my first visa here, which was pretty cool. Yeah. That was an interesting time. Yeah, it was an interesting time.
1: Because was, there was a brief moment of time where you, me, Savant, and Truth we're all under the same management.
0: Yeah, like four vastly different artists. Yeah, it was just very strange. Yeah. Yeah, probably out of like that group, we are probably like the most closely related artists. Yeah, but I think then, so. I think Truth and Survival Because
1: Neuro yeah. and Glitch have always especially when you get into that sort of mid-tempo thing, there's a, there's kind of a relationship there.
0: Yeah, totally. Do you ever like uh, kind of miss going down the sound design rabbit holes with the Neuro stuff? Or do you feel like you still kind of get to do that in the music you do now? So I I teach
1: music now at a school called Slam Academy in Denver. And so a lot of the time, either whether I'm in class or whether I'm making a demo in class, like we did an open house where it was basically demonstrate to these people that you would be a good instructor. And so I made this very dense neuro track that had all sorts of crazy sound design just to be like, look what I can do, kids, come learn from me. And so in that application, I still get to dive into it. And I find it really fun and interesting. And I still do some of that with, especially now that I'm doing the rap stuff more, I I feel like I have a bit more playroom. I don't have to stick to melodic which can be tougher with singing. Like when you're singing, it sort of feels like you have to keep your track within a certain degree of melodic consistency. So you have something to sing along to, or at least that's for me. I'm sure there are singers who can sing along to anything, but with rap stuff, it's like, Oh, I can kind of do whatever and get away with it. So I'm starting to incorporate that a bit more. I have some unreleased tracks that incorporate some more intense sound design, but all in all, it really just is like, I, it's something that I use more for fills than anything. Yeah. True.
0: Yeah. it makes sense. <clears throat> um, when are we going to work on the metal stuff more? Oh yeah. The James, the, can I say it? Yeah. Yeah. So we started a metal project called James Dean death machine. It's fantastic. And, uh, we, we almost had an EP. I feel like we're very close to having an EP.
1: We are like on the precipice. We are edging an EP right now. Dude.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Um, like, and I thought like two of the tracks, the one, the, both the ones with vocals mm-hmm. on them were fucking sweet. Yeah. There there's, it's, it's, I, I really like those tunes. It's
1: just, it's finding time to do everything is difficult. Cause I've got the, I've got the job at the coffee shop four days a week. Mm-hmm. I've got the job at slam Academy three days a week. And then I do live streams on the day that I'm not doing those things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's like, you know, so you're
0: the, basically like every
1: day you've got stuff. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. work, I work every day. Crazy. On something. And so it's like, you know, when I do have some free time, I'm more tempted to want to spend it on just like my, my own stuff, you know, like yeah. my little like passion project stuff where it's like, this is the reason I'm making music at all is to make the things that I think are interesting. Not that I don't think the metal stuff is interesting, but you can see what I mean. It's like, yeah, yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's wanna... different than totally just like being on your own grind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Um, yeah, I really want to finish that stuff. At Me some too. Point.
1: It's, it's, I, it's been on my mind a lot recently.
0: Yeah, I kind of stopped thinking about it because I was like, yeah, it'll happen when it happens, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, and I,
1: I, I I'm i definitely, is KJ still interested? Is that still something he's down
0: with? Yeah, I think so. Um, Like if we were to ever do shows, I think KJ would be down to play drums. Right. Um, and he did like a few. You should get him on here. That would be tight. I would love to have him on here, actually. He's, an, he's a pretty interesting dude to talk to. Like, he's got a lot of stories from, like, two. Well, he's been doing this forever. Like, he was he was with Pendulum, right? I mean, like... Yeah, he's with Pendulum. He was also with Destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he's just done a lot of big tours. Like, now he's sort of doing a lot of stuff with bigger... Uh, he also played uh, drums for Illenium for a while. Oh, weird. Like, for instance, at Red Rocks, he played with Illenium. And um, I think he did a few other big shows with him. That's wild. And he's also, like... I mean, obviously f- through working with destroyed has like really closely worked with excision mm-hmm. and honestly, like excision and Rob Swire are like pretty much two of the like top of the game dudes. And yeah. He's, he's worked with both of them. Totally. And then I've worked with dead mouse. So between both of us, we've worked with like a lot of the top. What was top is Rob Swire? Is he, he's part of knife party, right? That's, are they yeah. still a thing?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't heard from them. I guess that answers the question then, doesn't it? If you or I, the people who know most things, haven't heard of them. <laughs> yeah,
0: we know all... Our encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge between the two of us. Did you see that, no d- that Donald unturned. Trump tweet where he was like, Fuck. if Turkey... Uh, he's like, you know, I'm a big supporter of Turkey, but if they, in my great and unmatched wisdom, Holy do shit. anything that I see to be out of line, I'll fucking end their economy. That's a r- that's real? Yeah, that was like in a real tweet. That uh, sounds
1: uh, like a, a, like the sort of thing it's weird because anytime it feels like he keeps escalating the self parody where it's like, I feel like I remember people saying when this presidency started that there was going to be like, Oh, this is going to be a rich vein for comedy. Like, Oh, there's going to be so many good jokes about this, but it's that you can't, you can't parody him in a way that he won't actually just do to himself.
0: It's insane, man. Like I, every time I see it or hear about it and somebody just tells me like, Oh yeah, this is a new thing that he said. I'm just like... Or like you see a... You know how sometimes like people will botch up like an Elon Musk tweet? Right. And they'll like screenshot it and send it and it'll say something dumb like, oh, you know, 42069 is a sick number or some just stupid shit. Meme shit. Yeah. And you'll go look at his Twitter account and be like, that's not a real thing he Mm -hmm. said or tweeted. Like with Donald Trump, you don't even have to do that. You can literally just screenshot his Twitter and it's... And it's a meme already. It's insanely funny. I talked to Squanto about this last week Mm. or the week before. And he reckons Donald Trump is just a God tier shit poster and you know, that he's actually like doing the 10 dimensional chess thing. I don't know about that. I, I just absolutely don't, don't think I so. don't
1: give him that much credit. I think like it, it would just be, I just think that ascribes to him more intelligence than is worth it. It's like the, it's like the, there's so many conspiracy theories that people don't want to accept that people are just dumb and inept. So they assume that they're actually incredibly smart and that everything has been cleverly orchestrated to make everything just so. You know, like. like what would be an example of that? Like, I, I mean, I don't know about the 9 11 thing. I, I obviously no one knows. But to me, it seems like the willingness to believe in 9 11 truth or stuff is less based on evidence and more based on like, this can't have happened really. So someone must have orchestrated it.
0: Right. Which side of the fence do you sit on with that? Do um, you think it's like orchestrated by the government or do you think it's like a thing that's totally just like it just happened out of terror?
1: I, if I had to guess, I would probably guess the latter. I definitely think it was probably a, Like terrorists terror banded yeah. together
0: to try and um, incite terror? And
1: I know that there's a lot of people online that feel very strongly about it one way or the other. I don't know that I feel very strongly about it one way or the other. I just know that it... I don't think people... And there's other conspiracy, like Flat Earth is a better example. Like Flat Earth or Hollow Moon or Fake Moon, any of that stuff. What
0: is Hollow Moon?
1: <laughs> you get to hear about this now. Hollow Moon uh, truthers are people that believe that the moon is actually a spaceship that the government has put up into the sky to keep watch over us or something like that, and that it's hollow on the inside and they keep aliens or demons or something in there. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. So stuff like that, it's like people want to, and people use that kind of stuff. Like flat earth isn't just about flat earth. It's like people use it to justify other beliefs about how things aren't, things aren't dumb or bad. They're being cleverly orchestrated by an intelligent, you know, group of people who are pulling all the strings. And it's like, I just, I just don't buy it. I think people are just
0: dumb. And it's, especially with the president. I just think he's a fucking idiot. I've always wondered, like, who benefits from anyone believing the Earth is flat? Because I mean, like, with nine eleven, if that like was orchestrated by the government, mm-hmm. the government could benefit from it in certain right. ways. Like, they could uh, just make the airport more of a pain in the ass. Not really sure how that benefits them. It really just costs them money. Um, they could in they could really change the laws around a bunch of like you know surveillance uh, laws and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So they could like get more data from us and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, I can't really think of like. I'm sure there's like so many implications for like how that could benefit the government, but with flat earth, it's like, how the fuck does anyone benefit from? I think I've, I've, I've read into it before. I know that they think that
1: NASA is like invented by the government specifically to convince people that the earth is round. And I think the theory behind that is that like, I know that there's some people that are religious and are saying that it's being invented to convince people that there's no God to try to make us seem insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And really it's like, Oh, there's only this one planet and it's flat and the moon is just being projected up there or something like that. And they're doing that to make us lose our faith in God. I know that that's one angle. There's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things as a result of it.
0: Yeah, true. The one that I've heard is that, um, it's basically just like, yeah. Well, if they can convince us that the Earth is round, <laughs> they convince us of anything, and then that kind of like justifies literally anything. Right. It's one of those catch-all. Exactly. Excuses.
1: Yeah. Totally. Fucking stupid. Yeah, it is very dumb. But I think it's another good point of just like people don't want people don't want to feel insignificant. They don't want to feel like they're part of a vast, uncaring expanse of stars and space and. So they are like, okay, well, that can't possibly, it's uncomfortable, so it can't possibly be true. So I'm going to invent something else that, even though it's in many ways more ridiculous, is at least cozier. Do
0: you reckon this is like some sort of ignorance is bliss type dealio? I think that's exactly right. I think that's a more succinct way of putting all the dumb shit I just said. yeah it's well but instead of like ignoring something like creating some way larger like organized system well, in it's their willful brain. ignorance it's like it's something that is designed to perpetuate and create ignorance yeah but like if you actually talk to a conspiracy theorist like squanto for instance he'll <laughs> like convince you or like well not really convince you but he'll he'll uh, talk to you in a very convincing way that like, no, you're the one who's being ignorant from like Mm -hmm. all this shit the government's doing. Yeah. Well, and
1: it's people
0: that believe something
1: that strongly can be very persuasive, especially when, you know, I feel like in, in talking with you, I feel like you and I are the kinds of people that our default is to try to see every angle of the situation and to like really seek out the nuance. But when you meet someone that believes something really strongly, it's like, there's at least a part of you that's like, maybe they're right. Like they feel so strongly about this. There's something persuasive just about the, the sure footedness with which they say things.
0: Yeah. So I think like when somebody is so sure of something and I see this in musicians a lot, Mm. when they just like think they're the shit and when like they just exert so much zeal because they're just so insanely like, you know, they're very, they just believe in themselves a lot, you know, you're way more likely I think to follow them and like find them engaging and find what they do engaging than if the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Like if they're not very sure of themselves. Well, We think
1: that we like humility, but like in practice, what we tend to seek out is not humility. What we tend to seek out is people who feel very strongly about things and have a lot of very steadfast opinions and, and have rules by which they live and, you know, systems that they categorize the world into because those things are very appealing. It's it's nice to think that someone knows what's going on. And that's a very attractive
0: sort of mythos. Would you go as far as to uh, call a conspiracy theorist a steadfast motherfucker? You know, I, I don't use that
1: term lightly. <laughs> you know I don't. <laughs> but I think I would call them a steadfast motherfucker.
0: <laughs> that's going to be my new name for conspiracy <laughs> theorists. Be like, shut up, you steadfast <laughs> motherfucker
1: perfect perfect all right. incarnate <laughs> all these steadfast motherfuckers <laughs> fucking with my shit
0: how do you um like when you're writing lyrics uh how often like do you do you kind of do you have, I mean I've got to imagine the anxieties for writing lyrics are got to be similar to writing electronic music or just music in general mm-hmm. where you're like oh fuck I'm like using that word too much or like oh it's exactly the same," or I, I'm using the phrase this phrase or like mm-hmm. this type of like three two one type phrasing or something too much yeah like absolutely that. that's exactly it and then it, quite often will you like just fuck with it until it's not that so you can feel good about not doing <laughs> exactly. the same things too much
1: yeah exactly which is honestly I think in many ways can actually be a detriment and I think that's probably true for making music as well, but I have a pretty extensive vocabulary and because I'm so resistant to using the same word twice, I often end up using words that people don't know. And I think that that can
0: like, what, what would be an example of um, a word that not a lot of people know? I'm trying to think of, let me think you Know the word, "boulderize." I don't know that word. You know the word corpulent?
1: Uh, I've heard it before, but I don't know what it means. It means like you have a lot of corpse,
0: like you're fat. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, well, I'm, I, I would say I am more corpulent than <laughs> you, but like I have a, so I got this app on my phone, like maybe f- five or six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's called Vocabulary Builder. It just gives <laughs> me a new word every day. So um, that would be dangerous for me. Well, what I try and do is like, whatever word it gives me of the day i'll just start trying to use it <laughs> like stupid fucking <laughs> like just in shit that doesn't even make sense you just try to work it into your day
1: <laughs> yeah totally. just like this is gonna but make like, its way into a conversation do you, like do you usually tell people that it's a, a vocab app or do
0: you just be like no you i just I just, you just it. roll it in yeah i just try and like excessively start using it just yeah, so yeah, like i can learn. corpulent steadfast motherfucker be like, dude, this is the most corpulent fucking meal right now that I am trying to jam into my face.
1: Ate'n it. Yeah, that's a, I. That word. That's one of those words that sounds like what it is. Like yeah. it's like you hear it and it's like corpulent. Like it sounds like like what's the other one? I feel like maggot is a word like that. Like the word maggot sounds like, it's like what a what maggot else would is. it be called? Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or or creases. Or orange. Whoa. Uh, Hmm. I don't know about that one. I don't feel like it's literally
0: orange. Like the only way it could be more what it is, is if it was a named orange ball. (laughs) 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 It should be. (laughs) You pick up any of those orange balls at the store? (laughs) What about any of the red balls? You got any of those red balls? A little study. You mean apples? (laughs) Like you could be talking about you got any loose of
1: definitions that? of the word red. You could be talking about red grapes. You could be talking about plums, <laughs> apples, pomegranates. You
0: got any of those uh, yellow peeny weenies? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what is, there's a name, right? For a word that like sounds exactly like what it is or something. Um, it's not an onomatopoeia. No, that's like a, like a sound that describes right. an it's action. Like, right? It's like kind like of like thwack. the inverse
1: of that sort of mm. but there's got to I mean that's ironic that we're trying to remember like, that would be a good word to know ask your vocabulary
0: app yep. uh well the vocabulary app you don't really have any control over what word it gives you that's deep it just gives you a word every day just a random one it's like life man yeah and they're all like long ass words that like if you check it out on google anagram haven't been used a lot since like you know <laughs> the 1600s and <of> shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah, with uh, with writing lyrics, I often find that I end up using words that are needlessly, I'm like needlessly verbose at times, mm-hmm. and and I don't think it always benefits me. But at the same time, it's like I I do think that it gives me my own lyrical style too. Like I think that it is, it is distinctive, and and just with that combined with my goal of just being really super raw and transparent with lyrics. I feel like it ends up with this interesting balance because the thing is, is like, I'm not trying to like shoehorn those words in there. It's just that those are the words that come to mind for me. Granted, there's like an extent to which I'm trying not to use the same word twice, like we were talking about, but I I don't go on like a thesaurus website and look for words. I don't know to use. I'm just thinking about, okay, which word would mean or which word would fit into this rhyme scheme, which is really mostly how I write is I write one line and I'll keep writing until I find a line. This is, it's very much like music production in that it's like, I'll start writing and I'll just start at the beginning and I'll keep writing until I hit a line that I think is really cool. And then I'll work off of that line's rhyme scheme and just keep going forward from there. And then sometimes I'll go back from there and edit the stuff that ended up leading up to it, or I'll just cut it out completely. You know, you find the nugget of good idea and then you just, accentuate and highlight that and then delete and trim the fat of stuff that's not useful and it's again it's just like electronic music for me at least the way i produce is like i just get into the session and i start messing with sounds until something is like ooh, that's interesting and then i trim away all the stuff that is less interesting and then riff off of that idea
0: right <clears throat> yeah it makes sense Um, do you quite often like, uh, do you do, are you like a pen and paper guy or are you Mm -hmm. a, you're a word document? I'm a notes app guy. Right. So like how often do you use the editing function of the note app to just like cut and paste shit like in random places to see what happens? Oh, that's a cool idea. I've never thought about that. I I feel like I would take that like weird
1: IDME edity approach to it. I was just thinking about that. I've never, I, I immediately, when you said that it was like, I wonder how many of these sort of hacks that you've talked about or like these just like little creativity things or even procedural you know
0: generation stuff like i bet you could procedurally generate a sentence oh absolutely yeah you could just like get a um i mean you could probably do that with pretty basic like python code or i bet something. i mean i bet there's something online do you, that use, do, do you use an iphone i do so there's a thing on iphone called pythonista and it's basically just like python scripts for iphone and I'm sure somebody there has like generated some random dictionary word Ran- you could hit. just do a random word generator and then just keep using it, yeah, and then just like edit from there or something. mm-hmm, yeah, that's a just- cool
1: idea, or you could take like a whole sentence and make it just try to find anagrams of it, yeah. like write an entire verse and then just like try to find anagrams so it jumbles up the letters, but keeps the same number of letters and stuff like that. That's a mm. cool idea, I think that might be. I haven't really toyed with anything like that, but I absolutely will.
0: Yeah. I think that'd be interesting
1: because I feel like you could end up with some sentences in there or even like concepts that wouldn't occur to you otherwise. In the same way that you can sort of collaborate with the randomized elements of you know, a DAW or something like that.
0: Right. Like you could procedurally generate a sentence and then be like, oh, wow, that kind of could mean like this, (laughs) this and this. And then you could like get apophenic with it. Right. And then like finesse it in more ways to make it more specifically mean that or something.
1: Mm -hmm. Just sort of, again, just, and it's the same thing you would be doing on the level of electronic music of just like, okay, there's a cool idea in there. I just need to figure out how to highlight, extract and accentuate it.
0: Yeah, totally. Hmm. Yeah, so I guess um, for people listening, we just went to this talk that I talked at held by Ableton called Spaces. And the whole thing was like based on creative stuff, Mm -hmm. how to be creative. And my whole spiel was pretty much um, to create stimulus for yourself, to to jolt like musical ideas out. Mm -hmm. So for instance, like putting randomizers on your master and stuff like that. You can just like have it spit a bunch of random stuff out, and then that would like you know create some stimulus for you to be like, oh that that makes me feel like this, and now I want to make a different thing, but yeah, I definitely think that that would be possible to do lyrically you might even be able to do
1: it in Ableton, you know, just like
0: <clears throat> oh actually, yeah, you could um you could just. Uh, this would be uh, the largest task but you could literally um record transient marker per word too yeah and just read from the 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 entire dictionary (laughs) and then cut each single word into drum racks oh my god and then put arpeggiators on everything that's wild i would i would think probably the the
1: the easier approach or at least the um no alden okay i'll go get my dictionary But I think you could, you know, I could at least go through an acapella of something that I'd done, wipe all the transient markers, put one at the beginning of each word and then slice to MIDI and then arpeggiate it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: It would sound horrible, but you could get something out of it. It Might sound good. Yeah, it might sound
0: good. Hmm. Well, uh, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, oh yeah. Let's talk about the hip hop thing. So like you asked me a question earlier, you were like, if somebody sampled like a loop out of one of your tracks and, uh, and then the track got really big, would I be pissed off about that? Yeah.
1: So basically the, the, so I've been, I've been listening to a lot of hip hop and stuff like that recently. And there's a lot of hype around certain producers where it's like, Oh, this producer is so good. And then you'll watch a video of them producing and you realize that effectively the core, like the heart of their song is something that is like a two or four bar sample that they just lifted from somebody else. Um, And so one of the interesting questions that poses is like, is the person who sampled it also a good producer or is the person who originally made that sound the good producer or both? It's just, it's an interesting thing to posit because I'm, you know, I come from the sort of electronic music background. And so when I hear a song, my, my first inclination is to assume that the person kind of built it from the ground up. And a lot of the times that's just not the case. There's, it's like one sample that's either been chopped or even sometimes just looped that forms the whole heart of the song.
0: Right. Um, and in that case, like are the people who, who made the original song getting, uh, credited and uh paid for that
1: i would think so i mean i know um there was that juice world song that got really big which i assume is totally out of your wheelhouse and probably the wheelhouse of most of the people listening to this there's an artist called juice world who got really big off of a song that i can't remember the name of but it sampled sting like um the artist sting and they didn't clear it and so the song got huge and then Sting ended up like suing them and taking something like 80 or 90% of their royalties. Wow. But it's interesting because, and it was, it was a ballsy move because it's a very recognizable sample. So like the only way they could have gotten away with that is if. If it didn't get so big pretty much. Right. Which it may have been this artist's breakout hit. Maybe they had no reason to expect that it would get big, but there was like a music video for it. So you assume at some point they were like, ah, let's put a bunch of money behind this. Right you would think Without that clearing the sample at some point they would want to clear the sample unless the record label is just sort of is like, assuming that they cleared it. Hmm.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That, that seems <laughs> fucking weird. I'd have to
1: sample law is super weird. It's really, I mean, in theory you're supposed to, even if you were to take one second or like a quarter of a second of audio from a song, you're supposed to clear that.
0: Yeah, so I, I actually, um at the start of this year, taught for a little while at Berkeley Valencia. Mm-hmm. And um basically, the ma- the two master's programs that run there, one is uh, electronic music production, pretty much, mm-hmm. and the other one is music business. So I got to talk to some music business students there a little bit, and yeah, they pretty much said the same thing. They were like, yeah, if you sample anything at all from any song, it needs to be cleared. Mm-hmm. I know it's like not- well,
1: that myth that if you sample something for less than two seconds, you don't have to
0: clear it, but that is... Was, myth. I feel like the myth that I heard was even longer than that. It was like seven seconds. And then there's like this other myth where it's like, I was talking to Anand about this like yesterday. Um, it was some shit like if the song is like 99 years old, then it just becomes like public domain and totally sampleable. That's true. That is true. Okay.
1: Yeah. Well, it it depends because sometimes they'll, I mean, you, you have to check if something is in the public domain because It's the, what, what is in the public domain is, is sort of dependent on who wants to invest money in it not being in the public domain.
0: Yeah. And it's all like fucking
1: bullshit songs, like happy birthday and shit. Right. Exactly. And, and, you know, there is stuff that is, but it's mostly useless, especially like you, the, the audio quality from back then is not good. And then all the stuff that, And a lot of the stuff, like for example, I assume that when the Beatles songs would eventually roll into being public domain, they're going to lobby legally to make it so that that's not the case. You know, like you're not going to be able to just sample Hey Jude because the people who own the rights to those songs are very interested in not, which is it not Michael Jackson? Uh, Michael Jackson wasn't in the Beatles, my guy.
0: Yeah. But he bought their entire catalog. Oh, weird. I'm pretty sure he owns all of it. That's well, I mean, isn't he, Isn't he dead? Uh, yep. Apparently, unless you're a uh, steadfast cocksucker, (laughs) (laughs) then who knows? (laughs) Maybe he's in the moon. He's the one who used the rolling pin to flatten the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think he, he owns a lot of the Beatles catalog. Interesting. I think I just, whomever, uh, whomever is associated with that. It's
1: so weird. Music rights and stuff like that is so weird because it's, we were just talking, I mean, earlier we were talking about Daft Punk and how they sort of transparently obviously sampled a bunch of songs and then made them these huge hits, even when the original songs definitely were not. And it's, it's sort of interesting because obviously it's transformative and, and like you were talking about in your talk earlier, all creativity is sort of reactive. Anyway, you're reacting to a stimulus and, and, and altering or, or, modifying it in some way or at least just for me
0: creativity is the ability to take something and use it in a way that nobody else has thought to use Mm -hmm. it so like taking a ladder and instead of using it to get to a high place and climb something i don't know use it as like a i don't know washboard there you go a giant washboard that to me is like a creative use of a ladder, for instance, or like, you know, um, something my dad, I remember my dad doing this when, when he was fairly young, he got a paintbrush and used one of the bristles on the paintbrush to unclog a valve on a carburetor. And mm. I was like, ah, oh, that's a creative use of a paintbrush. Like mm-hmm. I would never have thought to use the bristle on a paintbrush as a tiny thing to unclog another thing. You know, I would use it to paint. That's what it's fucking, it's a paintbrush. Right. It's in the name. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, like, for me, that's creative stuff. So, like, in Ableton, that would be yeah, taking stuff, you know, like, weird, like, resampling your master with a shitload of effects on it, which you're not supposed to do, and then writing a new chord progression over that and then creating a new drum beat for that or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not supposed to use a song that way. You're supposed to, like, just write it in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least uh traditionally, that's not the way that music is written. So, f- to me, that is, like, creative songwriting. In the way that Daft Punk did it, I mean, it's kind of creative. They took a bunch of stuff that was like hundreds of years old. Well, not hundreds. Like, <laughs> they took a bunch of stuff that, from the fucking. <laughs> ye old. The from the punk. Renaissance era, dude. <laughs> uh, no, they took a bunch of stuff that was, I don't know, basically from the generation before them. What, like probably 40 years old? I couldn't tell you. I don't know. They took that a bunch feels of. feels true, though. Yeah, they basically took a bunch of funk music and then layered fucking just better drums under it and turned it into French electro. Right. And then just sidechained chained it to hell. Yeah, exactly. So in that sense, um, I mean, it's kind of creative. They figured out a way to repurpose these songs that didn't really get that huge in the first place into mm-hmm. like massive, like the biggest songs that have ever been created. When like it's, Robot it's, Rock, for instance. Right.
1: Or, and it's, it's conflicting because once you start accepting that modification is an acceptable form of creativity, it, you then have to just start defining what is an acceptable amount of modification. You know, at what point have you altered the work enough for it to be considered your work now? And as someone who makes music, on the one hand, I'm like, it would be great for me to be able to just grab a sample from whatever song that I listen to and really like and reinvent it in some way. And then on the other hand, I'm like, if someone did that with my song and did a bad job of it or basically just aped my song, I would not be okay with that. So it's interesting because you sort of have to trust people's creative instincts and i trust my own creative instincts but i don't trust other people's and you can't make laws based on that
0: yeah um maybe there should be like some sort of licensing system or something like where somebody gets like a license to be able to repurpose music and if they do a bad job a few times it's like all right <laughs> no more music for you <laughs> It's a three strike system. Yeah, yeah, totally. If you sample something terribly three times, you're uh, you're you're out. Yeah. <laughs> Your DAW just won't allow you to drag audio files in anymore.
1: <laughs> it just locks you out of time. Yeah. You get the Ableton you have it's like a breathalyzer.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have to like blow into a thing or <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're too drunk it won't let you drag audio in anymore. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Uh, Mm. we're reinventing some good tech on this. Get Elon Musk on the phone. Yeah, if anyone's listening who's a programmer,
0: or is Elon Musk? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. If you're Elon Musk and you're listening to this right now, (laughs) boy, do we have the idea for you. Yeah, dude, get involved. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, I feel that. I feel like, uh, I mean, here's the thing. I, I thought about this the other day. I was like, I have sampled so much fucking music in mm-hmm. my music before, like especially when I went through that big vocal chopping phase. I remember this. I've literally sampled thousands of artists at this point. Um, there's got to be a point where like AI on YouTube and mm. just AI and machine learning gets so good that it's able to pick up on these like minute edits that have been repitched a bunch and really buried within an arrangement, right? Mm-hmm. To the point where it's just like, it's so in there that right now computers can't pick it up, but at some point the FFT and stuff will get good enough that they probably will be able to. Right. And well, then, I mean, there's like uh, I'm, there's I'm, Melodyne which can separate instruments right. from
1: each other, and then the new version of Ozone claims to be able to let you mix different elements like your
0: drums and your bass and stuff differently. So it's
1: not too far of a stretch
0: with. Right. That. So so it's like at what point do they implement that into like the ID system, and then bam, my entire catalog gets pulled. That would be. And and then when you think about it how much of music would just get pulled off the internet at that point? That's a good question because I think that...
1: I mean, and and stuff that we don't even know, right? Like, I think a lot of producers probably have sample packs with stuff that's totally just been aped from something else. Even stuff that they maybe bought legally, maybe they don't know that this kick actually has a layer in it that's from this fucking disco song
0: and, and they have no idea. And so... Well, actually speaking about that, um, I was hanging out at Joel's house, Deadmau5, the other day mm. um, and he said that the, the Lights song that he just put out, you know that one, the one? It's called Drama Free. Mm, I haven't heard it yet. So it's really cool. Um, the snare in it is a snare that he got off a, C, a sample CD that he bought and uh, he got hit up by some company being like, that's our snare. Like that's not a thing that you can use. Off a CD, like a sample CD, he purchased, and he ended yeah. up having to settle for like ninety grand or something. That's yeah. I mean, that's
1: that's the thing is like as I think that sampling law. I mean, I, I do think it is. I do think there should be a length below which samples are okay. I really do think so. That the, the reason I think that's such a pervasive myth is because it it seems like the sort of thing that should be true. Like if you grab a snare from a Michael Jackson song, it's not like you have taken credit for a thriller,
0: you know? Right. And also it's not like that snare probably made your song. Right. Either. It's kind of like, I think there should be some like conversation that happens in, because that's the thing with like, with the way that I sample, I quite often think about this. Uh, and I am pretty much, this is my rule of thumb. It's if, If I remove the sample and the song sucks, then I shouldn't, then, then the sample wins, you know? Right. But if I, um, remove the sample and the song is still the song and it's still fine without it. And the sample is really just a little bit of a decorator. Then I think the song wins. Right. That's the way that I kind of look at it. No. And that makes sense. But then that's got to be super subjective, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you take that into court, there's probably going to be 50% of people. Well, there is some stuff that's like that. I'm trying to remember what it is, but there are certain laws
1: where it really is kind of like a you-know-it-when-you-hear-it thing. It doesn't tend to be a very effective way of doing things, and it's subject to people's biases and what is considered socially acceptable and what are socially acceptable forms of music, and then it invariably, like anything, becomes racist, and you know, then you have to can the whole thing and start over. But it's like, I do think that I mean, I honestly think, especially with a lot of the stuff that you've done where it is really just little chops of audio, I don't, I just can't imagine anyone claiming that that two seconds of a, you know, of a, let's say it's a Beyonce song, like anyone saying that that two seconds is really, I mean, who's it hurting? You know, who, who's losing money over that?
0: Yeah, well, definitely not Beyonce. And I definitely don't think like... Um, so I have sampled Beyonce in some songs before. Mm-hmm. And the amount of money that I've made off those songs has been negligible as fuck. Mm-hmm. And I definitely yeah, don't think somebody is coming to me to fulfill their Beyonce fantasies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, I think... Um, you know, if you're sampling something, and then it were the case that yeah, people were like, oh, well, I can just get that thing over here now that it's in that song, and then stop listening right. to the other song or something, which is an insane fucking. Well, you know what's interesting?
1: What I what I just learned about about, and this is sort of tangentially related, but you know how in music videos, and this doesn't happen in electronic music as much, but like in like, I'm sure you've watched like music videos for other metal bands or pop or rock artists where in the middle of the song, they'll sort of cut away to like a skit or something like that. So the reason they do that, I found out uh, that it's such a common trope is that the music companies want to interrupt the flow of audio. So people can't just rip it from YouTube.
0: Uh, true. Yeah. Okay. I see that. Yeah. Those was a while for a while people were doing that on SoundCloud where they were like, you know, turning the thing down halfway through the song or like, putting white noise spits over the top just Ugh. or like you know having a little bit like vocal thing over the top like hey this is blah blah blah, and you're listening to my song on <laughs> soundcloud just like so you couldn't rip it and play it it's just like i mean i get it on some level i think
1: that's probably died off mostly because soundcloud has the resolution of a you know calculator but it's <laughs> <laughs> you know like it's calculators
0: uh, can have pretty fine resolution man
1: hey well you haven't you i'm prejudiced against calculators do you actually use a calculator or do you use your phone
0: uh
1: you know i i use my phone so
0: really Sound like soundcloud has the resolution of your phone whoa that's deep, deep.
1: <laughs> very deep <laughs> yeah dude uh but yeah it's uh i i, I just found it interesting that like It's this thing that's been repackaged and sold to people under the guise of it being part of the music video's narrative. People think it's like a story thing when really, like I was just watching the music video for River by Leon Bridges, which is a song I really, really like. And it starts with this, like, probably like 30 seconds of just people walking into a hotel room. So like first and foremost, if you're ripping the song off YouTube, you have to skip 30 seconds in, but maybe you're crafty and you figure out how to chop off that. So it starts off the song with him on the camera mic playing the guitar of the intro to the song, and then it crossfades from that into the actual mix of the song. So already it's like, okay, that sounds different.
0: So It's like if you ripped it off YouTube, it's very clear. Yep, it's,
1: it's very clear, and the audio quality is deliberately worse. And then even with all that being the case halfway through the song, it stops to do some sort of little skit thing and then goes back into it, which is like the purpose of that is to make it so that you can't rip it and then listen to it later. But the net effect for me is that I can't watch the music video either because there's so much of this non, you know, all of this like either diegetic audio or just stuff that's literally put in there to make it harder to listen to. Do you think it's purposely so people don't rip it? Oh yeah, absolutely. It, there's no reason it would be so pervasive otherwise. Who, who is this that did this? Uh, Leon Bridges has done it, but basically any music video, like any Ariana Grande music video, any anybody in the pop scene, basically almost any music video they have will do this in some capacity.
0: And and you know that it's for this reason.
1: I don't I don't know that I know that it's for that reason, but Maybe it, it it's does just seem to make it more theatrical
0: or something like that.
1: I just don't think so. I just I I'm. It seems to me. To be obviously a capitalist thing, hmm. <laughs> but I may be wrong about that. But I, I, I've, it, I, it, I'm pretty sure that's why.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be. I've always like I know what you're talking about, and I've always just thought that that was like to make the music video more like cinematic or something. Mm. I never really have thought about that. It's like a, a reason. Like it's not. It's not so you can. Like rip it. I think it's so the music video like stands on its own as like a piece of cinema and music video, rather than you know just listening to the CD version. Or I think
1: it. that's like a very convenient way to sell that notion, but I think that the only reason it would be so pervasive, I mean, it might just be you might be right, and it's just a trope that people have latched onto because it's a thing that you do now. Mm-hmm. Like people are just like, oh, it's a music video, so we should have a cutaway in the middle to someone sitting and looking at a lake and throwing rocks and looking really sad and contemplative <laughs> but i i i think it's more likely that there's a sort of monetary and incentive there
0: yeah it's quite possible fuck all right well
1: um i'm getting pretty fucking tired yo same it's way past my bedtime
0: yeah, and that was pretty long. It was an hour and a half. Hey, perfect. But yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Hey, dude,
1: it's been fun. We should hang uh, out We more got to work on well. the James Dean stuff so that we can start getting that to the people.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, people can just find you at Alden Groves everywhere.
1: Yeah, it's nice. It's a unique enough name that I pretty much was able to snag it on almost everything, except Facebook, weirdly, because there's another Alden Groves who is totally just like camped
0: that. And, and you, you also have a Facebook uh group called alden's grove right
1: yeah i do okay (laughs) and just because i people my first name is harder to spell than i wouldn't think it would be it's a l d e n
0: last name g r o v e s and uh what's your social security number six nice and uh what's your the last three numbers on the back of your credit card also six weirdly but just one of them (laughs) (laughs) all right man fuck yeah well uh thank
1: you very much for coming on hey dude it's been a blast appreciate you having me all right cheers
0: Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. Thank you for listening
1: to